Welcome to the chilling story of the heart-wrenching murder case of Lady Jessica Kumala Wonso. This girl has a rich and prestigious life, but in her soul carries a great hatred for her best friend. By lathering her coffee with cyanide, Jessica brutally and terrifyingly killed that friend, Myrna Salahan, who had just been married and was excited to start her honeymoon with the man she had always loved. And all it would take to put an end to her schemes for good is a single cup of coffee and a friend with a sick sense of humor. The police had to work hard to find the culprit of the case, and they finally caught Jessica. Although there is no direct evidence, but her suspicious actions and cold expressions when the case happened have shown that she is the culprit. It is worth mentioning that Jessica killed her best friend for a very silly reason. Perhaps anger and hatred clouded Jessica's reason, causing her to decide to kill people ruthlessly. It is a heart-wrenching and terrifying case, a warning to us of the dangers of hatred and the rise of darkness in people. Unfortunately, the issue at hand brings us to the location that was the setting of one of Indonesia's most high-profile criminal investigations in 2016. This is exactly what happened with Myrna Salahin. We are going to a new country today for our investigation, Indonesia. There are more than 17,000 islands that are a part of Indonesia's territory, and the country is situated on the equator. Indonesia is the largest island nation in the world. In addition, the nation's capital, Jakarta, is home to a population of more than 10 million people. Granting it the status of a megacity as a reward for its efforts, Jakarta is not only recognized as having one of the greatest nightlife and retail scenes in all of Asia, but it is also the economic nerve center of the Indonesian archipelago. The automotive industry, banking, and tourism are the three most important economic sectors in this area. In a nutshell, Jakarta is prospering in the world we live in today, but it's easy to look at things through a lens that's too broad for the millions of people who live there. Myrna Salahin was a resident of Jakarta, where every building may be considered a residence. On March 30, 1988, Myrna and her identical twin sister Sandy were both born. Growing up, Myrna and Sandy both had what could be described as normal childhoods. And throughout her teenage years, Myrna developed an interest in design, a passion that would later guide not just her life, but also the direction she would take professionally. In addition, she was presented with the possibility of completing her academic requirements in a different country, and she made the decision that she would complete that degree in Australia. She was enticed to move to the city of Sydney by the fact that Australia is a highly regarded and recognized nation for academic studies. The pleasant climate in Sydney was also likely a contributing factor in her decision to go there. In the year 2007, Myrna enrolled at Sydney's Billy Blue Design College due to the fact that this was the reason why she found herself there. As a student from another country who had recently moved to the neighborhood, Myrna was eager to discover other Indonesian students with whom she could connect and develop friendships. 
and very quickly, she found herself becoming acquainted with a number of other international students, some of them being Boonjuwaita Haney, Grief So and Marco, and Jessica Wanso. The four had a wonderful time in Sydney, which was a terrific choice due to its wonderful weather, active nightlife, and outstanding beach scene. But fast forward four exhilarating years later, and college was finally done for the group of pals who had been there together. The four people parted ways amicably and proceeded on their own. Following her graduation, Jessica decided to remain in Sydney and work toward becoming a citizen of Australia. With the exception of Myrna, Hani, and Arif, they all traveled back to Indonesia, which is where they had originally called home. Myrna made the decision to go back to Sydney in 2014, three years after she had graduated from college, in order to retrace her path. She finally got a hold of Jessica during this time period. The years have a way of bringing about change in people, whether for the better or for the worse. Sometimes it doesn't matter what happens, and it turns out that two individuals are just no longer compatible with each other. Additionally, it appeared that this was the situation between Myrna and Jessica. They started out by going to a restaurant together, but ended up fighting there. Myrna let Jessica know that she disapproved of Jessica's partner and that she should break up with him. She also advised Jessica to move on. But this greatly infuriated Jessica to the point that she got up in the middle of her lunch with Myrna and departed leaving Myrna to foot the full tab by herself. Jessica fled because she was so angry. The connection between Jessica and Myrna became more strained. In fact, it was no longer in existence. During the time that Myrna was away in Indonesia, Jessica's life in Sydney was becoming more difficult for her in a variety of ways. She continued to slide deeper into a state of depression during the next year and into 2015 as well. She ended up in the hospital a total of five times during the course of the year and made many attempts to take her own life throughout that time. It was also in the year 2015 that she began drinking alcohol, and acquaintances of Jessica stated that she was becoming increasingly unstable around this time. She no longer possessed the bubbly and silly demeanor that she was known for in the past. It appeared as though she had completely changed. On August 22, 2015, Jessica's drinking problem would get significantly worse. She was driving under the influence and exceeding the speed limit on Marion Street in the Lee Hart neighborhood of Sydney around a quarter to two in the morning when the incident occurred. She was unable to maintain her attention and ran into a building. Even though Jessica was able to survive, her survival did not come without a price. During the accident, she suffered various injuries, including a broken rib and an injury to her chest, and she also faced multiple fines. Jessica would make a full recovery, and fortunately, the nursing home that she had driven into did not suffer any injuries as a result of her accident. However, her loved ones and friends will undoubtedly notice a change in her mental health as a direct result of the vehicle accident. And as if that wasn't humiliating enough, 
She would also be fired from her job on December 1st, which was four months after the initial incident. Jessica worked as a graphic designer for the New South Wales Ambulance Service while she was still a student at Billy Blue Design College. Even if the reason for her termination is unknown, there is a high probability that one may speculate as to why she was let go. While everything was going on in the United States, things were going from bad to worse for Myrna in Indonesia. The couple's relationship progressed into a more committed state once she moved back with her partner to her native country. And the wedding of Myrna and Arif Soe Marco took place in Bali in November of 2015, only a few weeks after Jessica was killed in the accident. The wedding was a stunning event. During the time when the couple was declaring their love for one another in front of their families and dozens of friends, both families were present to watch. However, despite the great number of friends there, Jessica did not hear the news that her former best friend Myrna had married without inviting her to the ceremony. This seemed to infuriate Jessica. Despite the enormous throng of friends present, Jessica did not hear this news. Even though it had been a year since the embarrassing conversation, she harbored resentment toward her since she had been abandoned and forgotten about. It was clear that Jessica's situation was deteriorating rapidly. She had begun to suffer from depression, had lost her friends, wrecked her car, and been fired from her job. In fact, she could not handle all of this anymore. She left Australia to return to Indonesia in order to get away from all of the craziness after making the decision to deal with her issues in a roundabout way. According to the texts that she sent to a friend, she stated something along the lines of, I could use the money to have an epic holiday rather than giving money to those ignorant police. I am being prodded repeatedly in this manner. I'll break. In addition to those benefits, her vacation back home included a few others. Even if she was not on the guest list for Myrna's wedding, perhaps they could still get together and heal the gulf that had developed between them over the course of the previous year. In light of the above, Jessica boarded an aircraft in Sydney before the end of 2015 and flew all the way back to Indonesia. Jessica reached out to Myrna just two days after she had returned to Jakarta. She inquired as to whether or not she was interested in having coffee together. Myrna was nervous about seeing Jessica by herself, and so was her husband. They both suggested that perhaps Myrna might meet Jessica with one of her other close friends. As a result, Jessica accepted the offer, which Hanny, their common friend, extended to her as well. The three parties came to an agreement to get together on January 6 at 5 o'clock. At a coffee shop located inside one of the many bustling shopping areas in Jakarta. Contrary to their previously held get-togethers, Jessica made the decision to purchase beverages for the group. Both Myrna and Hanny brushed it off and stated that they would purchase them once they arrived at their destination. But Jessica was certain about it. A little weird. However, it was not the end of the weirdness. At 3.30 p.m., 
Jessica arrived at Olivier's a little more than an hour and a half before the three of them were scheduled to meet together. Before taking a seat, she was seen on surveillance footage entering the cafe through the front entrance. But just two minutes later, after making a cursory survey of the neighborhood, she left. After 42 minutes had passed, Jessica eventually came back, this time lugging three shopping bags. Each of the shopping bags was purportedly stuffed with a little bottle of soap, and they had been purchased at Bath and Body Works, a store that is barely two minutes away. After that, Jessica began to glance up suspiciously at the walls and ceiling of the restaurant while she walked about the establishment for a few minutes. And at 4.15 p.m., Jessica placed an order for one iced Vietnamese coffee for her friend Myrna, as well as two drinks for herself and Hanny, when there were still 45 minutes left before her companions were due to arrive. I'm going to interrupt this narrative for a minute in order to explain to you precisely what Vietnamese coffee is and how it's made. After all, we can't just breeze through the coffee on a channel like a cafe crime, especially not when that information is so important to the investigation. So, could you perhaps explain exactly what a Vietnamese iced coffee is? Condensed milk which is considerably more sugary and thicker than regular milk, is used in place of regular milk in this unique variety of coffee. As a result, sugar is not required to be added to the drink at all. If you put a teaspoon of sugar in your coffee on a regular basis, then you should begin by adding a quarter of an inch of condensed milk. And after it is in the cup, you will need a Vietnamese coffee filter to assist you in pouring the coffee via the dripper. In Vietnam, this item is referred to as a fin, and you can get one for sale just about anywhere. The one I purchased cost seven pounds and could be found on Amazon. After that, you are going to want to tamp or press the coffee down into its filter. When employing a fin, the coffee is brewed extremely slowly, which, as a result, produces a more concentrated and weaker cup of coffee, which is analogous to a denser and more caffeinated version of espresso. After that is finished, all you need to do is lay your fin on the cup, and then immediately pour hot water into it. If you like your coffee on the larger side, you may potentially add extra water at this point for a second time. The gradual process drops particularly beautifully over condensed cream or ice, depending on your preference. Surprisingly, coffee was not brought to Vietnam until 1857 by a French Catholic priest in the form of a flowering Arabica coffee tree. This was the first time that coffee had been grown in Vietnam. And now, not nearly 200 years later, there are hundreds of coffee fields existing all throughout the Central Highlands. Coffee has become a popular emblem across Vietnam as well as Indonesia. If you like my quick instruction on how to make coffee, please let me know in the comments below. And if you give it a try yourself, report back to me how it went. When all of the water has been poured into the coffee, you will typically find that the coffee and the milk have split into two distinct layers. 
Therefore, feel free to stir everything up and enjoy the results. The sweetness of the condensed milk increases with each additional stirring. And finally, if you want to create iced Vietnamese coffee on a hot day, you may wait for this to cool down and then just add some ice to it. Let's get back to the story. At this time, Jessica's activities were already acting in a somewhat peculiar manner. It was already a bit strange that she placed her drink order 45 minutes before the anticipated arrival of her friends. However, there was still more to come. During the subsequent half hour, Jessica positioned her three shopping bags on the table in such a way that they formed an almost solid barrier that prevented anyone from seeing the beverages. It is impossible to determine exactly what Jessica is doing behind those bags since she is also positioned in a surveillance dead zone, which makes it tough to see what she is doing. However, noticeable movement of the liquids may be seen on many occasions when seen from a distance. It is currently 5.16 p.m. Myrna and Hanny don't make it to Olivier's until half an hour after their drinks have been brought to the table. After greeting each other, they go up to Jessica and give her a hug before sitting down at the table. And before the first minute is up, Myrna has already taken a sip from the iced Vietnamese coffee she was holding. After only two seconds, she gives the impression of being irritated. She started to cough and fan herself at the same time. After that, she moaned that the beverage had an unpleasant flavor before pointing it out to Hanny and Jessica. They both decided not to give it a try. And not even a minute later, Myrna jerks her head backwards and flops over in her seat as she loses consciousness. The strangeness of the circumstances gives way to a feeling that is more akin to terror. She begins writhing and foaming at the lips before passing out. Both employees and customers in the area around Myrna came to her rescue in a state of worry and concern. And when Myrna's health continues to deteriorate, Hanny and Jessica are both there to see it. However, this is the point at which other people first notice Jessica's peculiar personality. Almost immediately, she begins to accuse the coffee shop of tampering with Myrna's coffee and asks the employees what they had placed in the cup. In a defensive move, the proprietor of the coffee shop took Myrna's drink away to store it for possible examination at a later time, just in case. Myrna was brought to a hospital that was barely a mile away from where they were. Myrna, however, passed suddenly in the terribly short amount of time that it would have taken her to go to the entrance of the building. He was hurriedly making his way to be by the side of his newlywed bride, but by the time he reached her, she had already left. The death of the love of his life came only a few short weeks after the couple had tied the knot, and two of her closest friends were present to witness the entire event. Olivier had only served a total of 10 cups of Vietnamese iced coffee on the day that Myrna passed away. In addition, none of the other 10 had produced any kind of response whatsoever. It turned out to be a fortunate coincidence that the coffee shop retained Myrna's drink since the police found it and brought it in for a forensic examination. 
analyses, the results of which, three days later, would demonstrate that the coffee in question contained cyanide. It was then pointed out how ironic it was that Jessica was the first to allege that the drink had been drugged at a time when there was no suspicion or question about what had happened. And in the days that followed, the actual evidence that was being used against Jessica started to come together. An autopsy was performed on Myrna's body on January 10, 2016, barely four days after she passed away. The autopsy revealed that bleeding was present in her stomach, as well as evidence of cyanide. These traces closely corresponded to the amount of cyanide that was discovered in the coffee. Cyanide is a toxic chemical molecule that may end a person's life in a matter of minutes. If the chemical is consumed, it will hasten the dying process by preventing cells from getting their energy from oxygen as they normally would. Agitation, convulsions, and vomiting are the primary symptoms of this illness, which primarily targets the cardiovascular system and the central nervous system. Jessica's peculiar conduct before, during, and after Myrna's death would be brought to the attention of the investigating authorities by watching the coffee shop CCTV footage. Additionally, this peculiar behavior was observed as Myrna was being laid to rest. Jessica appeared more and more stuck emotionally with each passing day. There was a rising cloud of suspicion hanging over Jessica's head, and the Indonesian police were concerned that she might run away at any moment, despite the fact that they were well aware that she was an Australian permanent citizen. Because of this, when they were putting together the evidence they had against Jessica, they took great care to do it thoughtfully and methodically. On the other hand, Jessica was ultimately taken into custody on suspicion of planning the murder on January 30, 2016. The proceedings against Myrna would begin around four and a half months later, on June 15. However, before they could get there, various additional insights regarding her condition would become apparent. Jessica's previous boss during her time as a graphic design student at New South Wales Ambulance was a woman named Christy, and the investigators would ultimately talk to her. During the eight months that she was Jessica's direct supervisor, she became quite familiar with her understudy and had a deep understanding of her. She was able to see that Jessica possessed a hostile demeanor, a general abundance of hostility as well as a powerful weirdness. Her boss had this response when she was asked if she could picture Jessica as a violent person. I have no doubt that Jessica is capable of hurting or killing another person. Christy continued by telling the police that Jessica had confided in her at one point that she had the ability to poison and murder someone if she ever felt the need to do so. And as if that wasn't already incriminating enough for a testimony, she then acknowledged that Jessica had once threatened her with her own life, telling her that she needed to die and that her mother should also pass away. The next stop on the itinerary for Indonesian investigators who were interested in learning more about Jessica's background was the Australian Federal Police. When we got back to Sydney, 
The first thing that came up was the subject of whether or not such information ought to be made accessible to Indonesian authorities. However, because murder is punishable by death in the nation, Australian and Indonesian authorities agreed to an arrangement wherein they would provide intelligence in exchange for a pledge that any decision involving the death sentence would be overturned. The files that were provided by the Australian Federal Police described Jessica's efforts to end her own life on four separate occasions, with two of those occasions causing her to be hospitalized. They also revealed that she engaged in threatening behavior toward her co-workers, that she was involved in a serious car accident in a nursing home that was caused by alcohol, and that she had an apprehended violence order taken out against her by her ex-boyfriend after he discovered that his car had been vandalized shortly after the two of them broke up. However, despite the fact that the police said that Jessica was a suspect in the vandalism, there was not sufficient evidence to charge her with the crime. The trial of Jessica, which began in the middle of June, would eventually turn into a public spectacle that would go on for a cumulative total of four and a half months. During her trial, her defense contended that the AFP reports that Indonesian officials utilized in their investigations should never have been supplied by Australia and denounced Indonesian authorities for utilizing external chatter as evidence in their courtroom. These arguments were made in response to the fact that Indonesian authorities used the AFP reports in their investigations. However, the prosecution is likely to vigorously contend that the AFP reports, which emphasize Jessica Wongso's aggressive conduct, death threats, alcoholic abuse, and attitude, did little more than corroborate the behaviors that were previously clear. In the end, the prosecution would rely on the CCTV footage, which revealed a highly disturbing trail of indications that suggested Jessica poisoned Myrna's coffee to back up their allegation. This was the primary piece of evidence they used. The findings of the toxicology study would also reveal the presence of cyanide in Myrna's body. There were a great number of more damaging indicators that were brought to light. Jessica was adamant that she was the one who placed the coffee order. Before taking a seat, she seemed to look about for the surveillance cameras. Instead of putting the bags on the floor next to her, she put them on the table around the coffee. She made the purchase of the beverages far too early. She also looked over her shoulder at one point before reaching into a purse and pretending to make movements over the portion of the table that contained the coffee that she afterwards declined to taste. Even as Myrna was having convulsions, her drink showed remarkably little sign of worry and even appeared to be cheerful in practically every public video made after Myrna's passing. And there were countless occasions on which one may have projected an angry demeanor. In spite of this, there were two extremely important pieces of evidence that were not present in this investigation. The first problem is that there is no hard evidence to suggest that someone intentionally put cyanide in Myrna's coffee. It's possible that this is the case due to the fact that Jessica was never really questioned or detained on the day that Myrna was killed. However, 
To make matters even more confusing, it has been established that she disposed of the pants that she wore on the particular day in question. A further piece of evidence that was lacking was a description of how Jessica got her hands on the cyanide. It is difficult to get your hands on this chemical pretty much everywhere on the globe, but notably in Indonesia. Both of these lines of defense were front and center for Jessica's legal team since, to summarize, the court lacked evidence that she was in possession of cyanide or that she added cyanide to the coffee. But in spite of those two key aspects of the investigation, there was sufficient evidence to imply that she was the one who murdered Myrna. On October 27, 2016, a judge ruled that Jessica Kumala Wanso was responsible for the death of Wei and Myrna Salahan and sentenced her to life in prison without parole. At the time of the verdict, Myrna's parents broke down in tears while praising God for finding their daughter's murderer guilty. Jessica received a sentence of 20 years in prison rather than the death penalty, which she could have received had it not been for the AFP. The judges were appalled by Jessica's callous and cruel behavior, and they voiced their outrage at her apparent lack of contrition. The judges, however, were of the opinion that Jessica was still young and that there was still a chance that she might rehabilitate herself and improve her situation. After hearing the decision, Jessica immediately informed the judge that she was unable to accept the outcome of the trial. My gut tells me that it's not right. After that, she was carried away in handcuffs and placed in jail to begin serving her 20-year sentence. Whether you personally believe in life sentences or the death penalty, 20 years in prison seems like a pretty small amount of time to spend incarcerated. Brief in comparison to the number of years that have been robbed from Myrna Salahan. Being in the thick of what should have been the happiest times of her life was a source of great distress for her. She did not live long enough to have children, a prosperous business career, grandkids, or any of the other life events that would have accompanied the accumulation of innumerable joyful memories along the road, including a honeymoon. Why did she have to give up all of this, and for what purpose? Myrna was a straightforward and trustworthy individual who showed her loved ones and friends a great deal of attention. She was said to be the most amazing person that her Eve has ever had the pleasure of interacting with. A lady who has a remarkable attitude toward life. A life that was cut short while they were just 27 years old. Friends and relatives of Myrna are unable to wrap their heads around the fact that she has passed away. The suddenness with which this case was resolved is nearly as shocking as the vacillating nature of Jessica's motivation. And as a result of Myrna's passing, her widower, Reef, has recently relocated to Australia from the United Kingdom in order to establish a fresh new life in Melbourne. Even though it is unknown how well he is doing, I am confident that all of us hope the very best for him in the years to come. Thank you for taking the time to read about the chilling case of Jessica Kumala Wangso and the murder of her close friend, Myrna Salahan. This tragic story serves as a stark reminder of the dangers of hatred and the darkness that can exist within us all.
If you found this story to be intriguing or enlightening, please consider liking and following us to stay up to date on future content. Additionally, if you have any thoughts or insights on this case, we encourage you to share them in the comments section below. As always, I will be here, ready and waiting for your return. Until then, take care of yourselves and each other. Goodbye.